Hi there, Taylor Hymnus here from 41 Action News with another episode of Faith in KC. Uh, taking the opportunity to get outside on my front porch and record today when the rain stopped for at least, at least a little while and I wanted to step outside for a little bit. Hopefully my dog Bruce, who's sleeping right there behind the door, he follows me everywhere, that's why he, he's there. And I will not see anything to bark at while I'm recording this and freak out. <clears throat> you may not like this episode. I realize that is a confrontational way to start, and I do not mean for it to be confrontational in any way. But you may not like this episode. I want to talk about the why first, and the really the why I, I know. I grew up in a very conservative Church of Christ setting. I've talked about that on every episode. Um, so I know... Uh, and not that it's just conservative Church of Christ situations that, that match this description, but I know how um, defensive people can be about their religion and about their faith. And I think that's in a lot of ways okay. Um, it's something that is very personal, very dear to us. It's one of those things that you have to be prepared. You know, the joke about you don't talk about religion and politics over the Thanksgiving table. And there's a reason for that because people defend it um, very strongly sometimes, too strongly sometimes. So, um, there are going to be some things said in this episode that will make you want to say, hold on, no, no, I don't believe that. Okay. I've, I've made clear, I hope I've made clear in all these episodes that my goal through any of these is, is not to necessarily bring anyone to faith. It's definitely not to convert anyone to mine or any other faith. Um, the goal of this is to talk about faith in KC, faith in Kansas City, and the different ways that that is um, defined. And this is a new one today. I think most of these episodes, uh, for lack of a better term, have been a little bit safe. Um, you know, most of them, I've interviewed um, a rabbi and an imam, but most of them have fit into a Christian situation. And that's where I'm comfortable. Um, that's safe. And I don't, I think there's a certain element, maybe even a larger element of our faith. It's not supposed to be a safe situation. It's supposed to be challenged. It's supposed to be sharpened. It's supposed to be um, shared and prepared to defend, maybe passionately, maybe compassionately. So um, here's my ask. Here's my request as you watch this, because I know this is going to go on Facebook and I'm already prepared for the comments. Please do not comment negatively unless you watch the whole episode. That's my that's my only ask. If you watch this entire episode, you can say whatever you want to say. Um, but I want to trust that if I see a negative comment at on the bottom of these episodes, it's because you watched the whole thing and you still want to say that. Okay. My guest today is Reverend Rose Schwab. She's the minister at Shawnee Mission Unitarian Universalist Church. Uh, she could not have been more gracious in her time with me. Her church is similar to mine in a lot of ways, maybe to yours in a lot of ways, and different in a lot of ways. Not least of which being they are um, very open about the fact that they're a LGBTQ friendly congregation. Reverend Rose is gay and we talk about that. And just that topic, I know, is going to set some people off right here. I I have a feeling, we didn't talk about this necessarily, but I have a feeling as Reverend Rose watches this, that um, she knew what kind of comments could come from this the moment she said yes to talk to me, because she's probably heard a lot of them before, or read a lot of them before. And that's just brave, no matter what you believe, knowing that sharing something that is close to you and personal to you and important to you is going to draw uh, strong negativity is just brave, period. And I applaud her for that. 
So, please listen with an open mind and an open heart and know that I'm not trying to talk you into or out of anything. All I'm trying to do, we're trying to do with this series is to tell you about how faith is being used in people's lives right here in our neighborhood, right here in our community. And I think that's important to be aware of how people worship around you. You don't have to agree, you don't have to disagree, but being, being aware of what's important to people around you, I think is a pretty vital thing to community building. As always, you can find me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, look me up there, leave your comments under those guidelines I asked earlier, please tell us, tell me what you think, tell me who else I should talk to next. Um, email me at taylor.hymnus at kshb.com. Um, but, but I really hope you enjoy this um, and I hope you come away just with an awareness maybe that you didn't have before. That's, that's my hope and my prayer as you watch this. Thanks. So I'm joined today by Reverend Rose Schwab from Shawnee Mission Unitarian Universalist Church. I told her before we started, that was the only thing I wrote down on my post-it notes so I could be sure and say it correctly. Unitarian, Unitarian Universalist Church. I wouldn't want to get it backwards. Uh, Reverend Rose, thanks for your time today. Thanks for, for hanging out for a little while. Thanks. It's great to be here. I want to start with this because I was, I was reading about uh, your church on the website, and there's a link on your website to learning more about the, the church uh, on a global basis. And I was reading there's only about 250,000 members worldwide. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So how would you describe a, a Unitarian Universalist church to someone of the many people who may not be familiar with that? How do you describe the church to someone? We believe that each person is privileged to their own truth. So in that way, we're like a deeds, not creeds church. So we don't all share the same theological views or the same language for our spiritual lives. Um, but we do believe um, in a shared like set of ethics that we call our principles. And they're about um, the inherent worth and dignity of every person. They're about the democratic process, the interdependent web of all life. Um, so we come around each other with the desire to be in a theologically diverse setting, knowing, feeling that that's um, kind of one of the joys of being a spiritual person is learning and being with other people. Were you raised in this faith background or were you, were you raised with a different kind of faith background? No faith at all. How, how was your, your faith experiences as a child and growing up? Um, I was raised in the UU church. Okay. Yeah. And I was, um, my wife likes to say I was a lamb to the slaughter that like, I was like raised by really devoted. My dad was a really devoted lay leader. He directed a church family camp. And when I was like 12, I was like, I'm going to be a minister. And then it was just like, whoop, here you go. So yeah, it's definitely in my DNA. Do you find that most people, uh, and I guess a better question to start with is, is yours the only UU church in the Kansas city area? No, it's okay. not. So the other church is called All Souls, and it's on the plaza near the Nelson. And then there's a fellowship, which is called the Gaia Community on Troost. Um, we have a history of fellowships, which are lay-led congregations. So they don't have a minister, and they um, do it kind of more from the ground up. Is that the, con the situation your dad was in? When you say lay-led, is that what he did, or he was an actual minister? Well, I think he would have liked to become a minister. I mean, if you think about like all of us with our parents and how we like fulfill or do not fulfill their dreams, um, <laughs> right. he was a camp director. So in that way, he like had a leadership role. Um, so, but he was not, I mean, we went to fellowships, but he was not like a leader in a fellowship. He 
like was the director of this camp and oversaw everything at the camp and everything. Sure. Yeah. Do you find that, um, I asked that question about there being more than one church in the area because I was curious about this. Do you find that most of the people that attend your church are the churches in that same uh, faith in the area were raised in the church, in this church like you were? They came to it later in life. What, what do you find is the, the most average situation for someone that goes to UU Church? That is a very good question. Thank you for asking it. Um, most people in this area were not raised in the church. Um, most people come to us because they have been burned in some way by um, more mainline Protestant Christianity and are wanting to find a church and spiritual home that does that is less creedal. Um, okay. Many ways, our worship service like looks Protestant in that I wear a robe and, you know, we have a liturgy and we sing hymns, but we like rewrote a lot of the hymns. Okay. <laughs> so sometimes people will come into us. That's just what we think the hymn is, but people will come and they'll be like, wow, I really, I love this tune, but the words are different. Um, we're humanists. And so oftentimes we, that means that we, um, believe that no matter what your theology, we all believe that humans have the capacity to do incredible good in the world and that we, um, place a lot of, a lot of agency in, in the people and in, and in the beloved community. And so oftentimes we will replace, um, sometimes that's kind of the theological leaning of the hymns, but the difference Unitarian Universalism branched off of the um is the branch of the christian tree but i think mm -hmm. we're um just a little bit different in that we really value reason and we really value um like the freedom of language and spiritual search which i think a lot of mainline christian churches do as well we're mm -hmm. like the far left protestants if that makes sense we're like <laughs> way over here. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, in the interest of full disclosure for viewers that are watching, this is this is the first conversation Reverend Rose and I have had besides a phone call just to set up this conversation. So we had never met. We don't know each other well. Um, Reverend, I attend a Church of Christ. I was raised in a Church of Christ. My family and I uh, go to a Church of Christ here. Um, and I was raised in a very conservative one. If there, if there is such a thing as an even more conservative church of Christ, uh, I was raised in a small town. Uh, we had about 85 people there on a regular basis. Um, very, very conservative church of Christ situation. So I'm, I'm really interested to ask you this question and maybe among any other question I wanted to ask you today, you referenced that people sometimes come to UU church because they've been burned by another church situation. Uh, can you describe, obviously without being too detailed about a person's story, but what are the, what are the types of, of burns you hear about when people come to UU church that they may have experienced someplace else? Mm -hmm. Um, there are a lot of people who are raised Catholic and I think, um, people speak about just not being able to say the creed in faith hmm. people talk about that kind of like spiritual dissonance that they feel um and usually there's a period of not knowing where you would want to go and then kind of finding out about unitarian universalism so there's that there are people who um were an lgbtq affirming church and so many people were you know made unwelcome in the yeah. churches there origin um yeah i i think i think the one i hear most about are catholics okay. i think that's like a pretty strong like i hear people be like oh my gosh i was raised catholic oh, i was raised catholic yeah and so i'm not really sure their stories but i think it does have to do with that personal spiritual integrity and then wanting to find a place where um, your free and responsible search for truth and meaning is really valued that you yeah. can go somewhere and, um, 
you know, try on a word or try on a type of spirituality that feels um, more authentic. I think any, any church of any faith, um, one of the basic tenets of what they're trying to be, I would assume, is, is a refuge of some sort um, from fill in the blank, but attempting to be a refuge. Do you feel, pressure is not the right word, but it's the only one I can think of. Do you feel extra pressure in that for some cases of people that come to your church, you might be a refuge from bad religious experiences? Like, does, do you feel that whenever you meet new people that tell you those kind of stories? I do. I'm always very careful. I mean, it's funny to be a preacher when we don't have a shared language for God. I don't even necessarily use the word God. Um, okay. And when I do, I really am very careful and thoughtful about how I use it because I think that, so I was raised without the word God. And for me, but I was raised, I'm a very devoted, deeply spiritual person. Um, and part of the reason why um, I think I was raised without the word God is because of, you know, humanism and like kind of a backlash to that sense of being put upon by um, creeds. So I think in some way I was raised um, just without that word. And I'm grateful because I feel that I was able to develop language and images that are um, really my own. And I've also felt really free. And now because of this, because of the way I was raised, with a real reaction to um, Christian language, I went to a Christian seminary because I felt like I need to kind of get what's going on here. Um, and that was a really beautiful, like, like coming home experience in some way, because yeah. I feel like we are all um, steeped in Western theology. We all have, like, we all know who Jesus is. We all know who these stories in the Bible are, even though I was not raised with the Bible. And so it was helpful for me. And a lot of what I like to do now in terms of remembering that there are so many refugees is I like to read Bible stories in a way that I know is different than what people were taught. So well, what do you mean by that? Like I do a lot of biblical work. Um, I think that it's really important to retell those stories in a way that um, opens people's minds to them because it is such a, in my experience, there's such a, people become very invested and churches can become very invested in a real, um, I don't really know, like a real shared understanding of who Jesus was or what these stories meant. Right. And I think that they can mean so much more. I mean, just going in and doing the exegesis, which is reading the, the text in a different language repeatedly or letting things get into you. I just like, for example, um, I read the Hebrew scriptures to be a lot about land use okay. and um, like how people should relate to the land and how people should relate to each other. And um, I don't find a vengeful God there in the same way that I'm told many people find it. So I also see a lot of um, a lot of information about women in the Bible. I see a lot of information about where and with whom power lies. Um, like in some of the most fundamental stories, like for example, we all learn about or we, I didn't really, because <laughs> I wasn't really, but many, I mean, Abraham is this very important figure. Sure. Um, but I don't think very many people in mainline Christianity learn that he's also the father of Islam. Right. And so just stories like Ishmael. that, exploring Ishmael and exploring Hagar, who is Ishmael's mother and mm -hmm. all those situations. So finding that kind of stuff in the Hebrew scriptures, I love, and I think that's really powerful. And then in the new Testament, well, I should have said this first about Unitarians. We believe that Jesus was human. Okay. Okay. So that's the fundamental part about. Yeah. Like, you, you buried the lead a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so much to talk about. So we're sure. Unitarians as opposed to Trinitarians. Okay. So we don't believe that. Father, Son, Holy Spirit kind of situation. We, uh, right. Okay. So 
when when the printing press happened and everybody could suddenly read the Bible and that was the Reformation, that's when all that happened in the 16th century or whatever. We read the Bible and we're like, we don't see any mention of this in here. We don't see the Trinity in here. And we read the Bible as, um, well, it came to now, we really find a lot of good news in the concept that Jesus was human and that he was so powerful and such a thoughtful, interesting person who was able to make an incredible mark. Um, and all, all of the people that went into that situation. Um, I really love to, uh, preach about Jesus and, um, like really embellish the story in ways that are, that is, um, like setting him up and describing him in ways that are really humanizing. I think, um, we don't often do a lot of um, thinking about his characteristics or his laugh or his physical movements or like the silly little things he did, you know? So I try to do a lot of that reworking of the Bible. Cause I think it's fundamental for people who, well, for all of us who live in Western society and especially for people who are spiritual refugees, I think that touches so deeply. Okay, so I have I have two logistics questions, and I promise this entire conversation is not going to be about. Well, explain this to me. Like that's it's not going to be that kind of thing. I promise. Um, but I have two logistics questions based on what you just said. One, um, you mentioned that you are very careful about the use of the word God in church. I'm curious about what a prayer looks and sounds like whenever you're conducting a, a prayer, leading a prayer in in the UU Church, and two. If the the thought that Jesus was human, how do you address the the miracles that are referenced in in the Bible or that he performed? Are they are they just considered to be stories? Those are the two coming from where I'm coming from. Those are the two that that maybe give me the most pause about what you just described that I would have difficulty stepping immediately into. So could you tackle those two for me? Yes. So I do a lot of meditations. Um, I do a lot of like breathing exercises and a lot of like visualizations of stuff. So, um, there's in Buddhism, there's something called loving kindness meditation, where you actively do compassion building exercises. Um, and I think that that achieves a lot of the prayer stuff in that you loving kindness meditation for anything. So let's say I was like, Um, I'm going to do loving kindness meditation for Taylor. Um, I would close my eyes, get into my meditative state, which you do with music. You could do with, I could start it by saying something like spirit of peacefulness, be with us. Um, you know, come in spirit of love, things like that. Um, and I might instruct people, let's say the whole congregation is going to do loving kindness meditation for you. I would instruct everyone to, we would like, you know, do some embodiment stuff, breathing. And then I would, I might say, envision Taylor's face in front of you, envision him smiling. And then we might say like, may you be free from suffering. May you be free from harm. May you be free. And then sometimes I'll we'll do it. Like may we be free from suffering. Sometimes you can do it for yourself or send yourself a well wish or a prayer or a good thought. Um, I think to just be able to send out the thing that you're struggling with, or even start to create that sense of like an ask or what you're seeking even. Okay. That does makes that make sense? sense? Yes. Okay. That does make sense. Because yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm wondering I and I hope you'll forgive me that I I wonder uh, as I as I record these conversations obviously what people that I go to church with are gonna are gonna think if they listen to this what people that are members of a typical faith body that you were describing earlier are gonna think so I I think about those kind of questions and but it it honestly what you just described does not sound a whole lot different than a congregational prayer um, whereas a congregational prayer that I'm used to might be begin with 
Heavenly Father or Lord God or however you're going to start that that prayer and praying to a a God or God in, in the way we see it, it the actual um, process of it, what you're describing, is not a whole lot different um, of of praying and hoping that um, something will occur for someone else and or or will be taken away from someone else or a feeling of peace or hope like you're describing will come upon it doesn't if you if you pause and take a breath it doesn't sound that much different than what than what i'm used to so yeah that makes sense now Mm -hmm. the jesus miracles part tackle that for me well yeah that's the thing that i think like the the spiritual mechanics of like loving kindness meditation or a prayer that's to you know wherever you want to put your, your big burden yeah. um, of it, I feel are very similar unless it is like fundamental that you, that Jesus be in the worship service, right? You know, like for right. many people, like we didn't really start until we talked about Jesus. Cause that's, that's the, the main event. Um, well, I mean, I feel- and to that point too, like I was raised in a situation and when, when I end the prayer, in Christ's name, I pray, and and going through the the name of of Jesus. Whenever, anytime I go to God, that's who I'm going through. So, absolutely, you're that's a that's a a huge point of differentiation. Totally, and like those, Jesus as a as like a God, and Jesus as like a mantra, and all that stuff is so beautiful. And like, I don't feel any which way about other people feeling that Jesus is their way and the way. I mean, I think that's, um, I think a lot of people have really, really profound relationships with saints and all sorts of deities. And I just think it's, it's a really profound spiritual path. Yeah. Okay. So the miracles, I think we would all feel a little bit differently about them. Like, I think I can't really speak for how, other people in the church would see them. I'd be, I'd, I'd bet that most people, most of you use feel that their stories okay. that have like very deep poetic meaning mm-hmm. and are like interesting Maybe representative of something, something else potentially. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And like, like, for example, here's an example of how I might tell the story of the mana is that um, if you think about there being a um, a time when so five thousand people were gathered, mm-hmm. and Jesus and like two or three other people were like trying to figure out how to feed them with the loaves and fishes, right? And um, the way I would tell that story and the way that I go to the text and the way that I read the text is that, um, one person was like, you know what? Um, I can give this little bit of bread that I have. And then the next person was like, okay, I have a little bit of bread. I have a little bit of fish. I have a little bit of cheese and that this kind of wave or movement of um, solidarity swept throughout the people and they were able to create like a sort of stone soup. And that is a miracle as far as I'm concerned, like people's hearts and minds being changed, yeah. people up to each other, people breaking bread, people having communion, people sharing. Um, so that's how I would understand that miracle. Does that make sense? Yes, and it, it does. Does, It feels like to me, like a real, like that's the fundamental good news of the church. And that's yeah. what we're trying to tell people we, we're going for, you know, we're going for the beloved community. And that's, that takes something that means that, and in that there's like that sense that like we as humans, like we really have to work at it. We really have to do it. And, um, that we have like a really important part to play without us, the arc of the universe isn't going to bend towards justice. It's not going to happen unless we add our weight and we put our food in, you know, so. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, obviously we don't talk a lot. I say we, a, a news organization, local news organization does not talk about faith a whole lot. 
Um, and part of the reason, one of the, the primary reasons I've talked about this before that we started this series is because the last year clearly was just awful. And many, many people have reevaluated, restacked, re fill in the blank over the last 12 months with something in their lives. Add to that the, the sheer fact that some type of faith community is a central part of life for so many people. And it just didn't make sense to us to not go, we should, we should talk about this a little bit. That's what the, the, the impetus for this series was. So I'm curious about for the UU church that where, where you attend and where you lead, the what the last year has been like. Have you had people, we've talked about refugees, for lack of a better word, that have come from other church situations. Have you had people that have come in and sat down and said that are not from another faith community, have, were not burned by another faith situation, that have walked in and said, I, I got to try something else. I, I have to do something because I don't recognize my life anymore. Um, have you had that? You're shaking your head. I'm guessing that you you have had that, that situation happen to you in the last year. Yeah. There are a lot of people who are um, either seeking and finding us or are like coming out of the woodwork. People who, you know, have been members for 15 years, but their kids are out of RE or whatever, religious education. And now they're like, hi, (laughs) I'm ready to be here. Um, And that's been a real blessing. It's been a real blessing. Um, And what the real blessing is, is that I have some really incredible lay leadership who has created programs that are a place to catch those people. Mm -hmm. And that has been, I mean, I'm just beyond grateful because it does feel like we're the church is changing. I think a lot of churches are changing right now. Um, and I found myself like, for example, I have, um, memorialized several people who aren't you, you, um, don't want to be you, you, but their little church in Southern Nebraska, like does not have a zoom account and is not like their pastor has like, you know, four parishes of elderly people. Like he doesn't know how to like get the YouTube sharing thing going. So, um, that's been really interesting to like change the reach and, um, get to provide that service for people. That's been a real joy just to get to people are like, I, one woman, um, just had a really different ethnic background than I'm used to. And that was just lovely. But because she's in her little faith community over here, I wouldn't really get a chance to do something as profound as memorialize her and spend time and do that work. Um, But because of the pandemic, I was called upon to do that. And there have been, because now I'm an internet preacher, as many of us are, (laughs) um, the reach has changed. So a lot of people are becoming like virtual members of the church, which I'm sure other churches than mine who are larger have like had that going on for some time. Um, But for us, it's been a real, like, it's just been really interesting to have people who are like in a small group and they're in New York and we're here and we're like, Hey, like, you know, it's just, it's nice to see them and thinking about how do we in worship has, is very well attended because people can come in their pajamas. They can watch it anytime during the week. So that's something that I think we are going to be figuring out for some time is how do we like when it happened, I mean, like, bam, church is closed like somebody like pops up and is like, I can do AV. And it was like, Oh my God, this Sunday, you know, but now we're in this situation where we have to make some real deliberate choices and try to come out of it with two types of church, which is in-person and virtual church. So that's going to be quite the task. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I was so excited for this conversation and I feel like I could pick out about five different topics and spend an hour on each of them with you. And so I'm, 
I, I hope you'll forgive me for trying to fit so many big, big thoughts into uh, the 45 minutes or so we have together. Um, but another one that I wanted to ask you about um, is LGBTQ plus issues um, with, 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 with the church. I use that word issues because of its relationship with the church there. Um, as I mentioned, I was raised in a very conservative situation. Uh, if anyone ever set foot in my little church in Texas where I attended who was gay, I didn't know it. Um, you mentioned that your church is LGBTQ friendly. Um, where do you, where do you see the relationship between people who are, um, people of faith who also happen to be gay over the next however many years you want to talk about, because it, it feels to me very much like that is the current tide shifter among the church. I went to a Christian university and I've had conversations with uh, my classmates when they'll post things on Facebook about how they feel about that particular issue now versus how they felt 20 years ago when we were in college. How do you see, where do you see, is it even worth being an important topic or it should just be accepted of, no, this is how we should do it. We're, take, take two or three minutes or five minutes or 20 minutes on that if you want. And just tell me about where you see those two things. Well, I think um, like your little church in Texas mm -hmm. with the people, that's called being on the DL, being on the, that's <laughs> on the down low. Right. That's where that came from, like just being gay and needing community and needing your God and your spirituality. And so I'm sure there were gay people in your church, you know, whether they were able to admit it or not, or were married to someone of the opposite sex. Um, there are gay people. I mean, we're out here and right. we're like, you know, lovely, interesting, fun, deep thinking people. Um, who may also be, be people of faith, just happen to be. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of the LGBTQ plus community, I mean, are people who um, really desire and have that deep yearning to be in community it to be in communities of faith and have a church and like have a small group. And if somebody gets sick, they want to know so they can bring them a casserole and like, just yeah. be a thing, you know, and yeah. have that community because it's so dear and it's so important to be in intergenerational spaces. It's so important to have people asking you hard questions. You know, it's important to have a weekly thing that you get dressed up for, you know, all this right. stuff. Just right church is the best. Um, and I think that, so the idea that like LGBTQ people, um, wouldn't need that is ridiculous. And I think part of what I really want to do at church is create a space where the LGBTQ plus community really feels like I can be safe and I can worship. Mm -hmm. Um, and you use in general have always been on this. I mean, we ordained the first woman in mainline Protestant Christianity. We ordained the first gay, openly gay minister. So um, like gender and sexuality issues, we have a faith-based sexual education program at church that we feel is really fundamental as part of the ministry that the kids- For children. For life lifespan. Really? Yep. It's like it, we work built in a, into built into the UU. This is this is this is how we church. This is part of what we do. Yeah, we, we it's a program called Our Whole Lives that we developed with the UCC denomination. And um, there's like kindergarten to second grade curriculum. And like, I don't know what they do. They like roll around and are like, we have bodies or I don't know what they do. <laughs> or, you know, like do stuff about like consent or something. And then there's like fourth to but fifth. But it's talked about, it's, it's talked about your, your body and yourself and from a, from a young age in a church setting. Yes. And then all the way through the rest of the life. Okay. So I feel very strongly that, um, we, well, I'm gay. I should tell you that, as I you said mean, earlier, you mentioned your wife earlier. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I picked up on that. 
I'm married to a beautiful woman and we, I actually came out from the pulpit. Really? Yeah. Cause when I got from, to the- From yours where in Shawnee Mission? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I got to the church and so like sexuality is fluid, right? Like people are, you know, in whatever place they are. And while I was serving the church, I met my wife and then knowing that like this denomination is very affirming of LGBTQ issues. Um, and I didn't really feel, you know, there was no, um, I kind of like felt like it was like a little bit like pyrotechnics. Like it was like, really like, woohoo, this is fun. You know? Right. Right. <laughs> Knowing that it would be a shock too. people. Like, well, that's a big change. And like, well, we kind of got to adjust and all this, but, um, yeah. So we have a big service each year called the coming out day service. And, um, we do a very special ritual that we invite members of the LGBTQ community to come to church. And we also have, you know, LGBTQ members and we do a laying on of hands. And so I call people forward. So I might say like, if you identify as gay or lesbian, you know, queer, bi, all the way down to closeted, we invite people to come forward. And then the rest of the congregation um, lays hands. And then we sing this very, this song that we, the lyrics are, how could anyone ever tell you you are anything less than beautiful? How could anyone ever tell you you are less than whole? How could anyone fail to notice that your loving is a miracle? How deeply you're connected to my soul. And the laying on of hands, obviously, is something that I think most people of a faith community are familiar with, likely in very different circumstances. But I have done that. I have had it done to me. Uh, that's, not, that's not a foreign thought, I think, to most people of a people of faith of that, that action taken. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's done. You lay hands on somebody when you really need them to know something, when yeah. you really need them to know that they're loved, that they are held, that they can be the center of everyone's energy and blessed. Yeah. And it just feels so like we've done it also for people who are actively or have struggled with addiction. You know, we do it for different groups. Um, but this particular service, I mean, there's like not a dry eye in the house. Sure. Sure. Yeah. The, um, we have a member of the gay men's last year, a member of the gay men's chorus came and he, you know, he was singing this beautiful song and then we laid hands on him. And then he was like, I don't think I can sing anymore. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, like crying and like so emotional of just yeah. having people, affirm you in that way in the church, I think is, and I have had people come up to me afterward, um, and say, you know, I was really struggling. I come to this church, but I really struggle with the teachings that I've gotten at my more conservative church about LGBTQ issues. And I haven't really figured out how to incorporate that love, like authentically, or I haven't really understood how to, um, be a Christian and G and be LGBTQ affirming until after yeah. the service, they're like, Oh, this makes sense. And, you know, I think, I think there's something really radical about, um, being LGBTQ affirming. If you think about like St. Valentine who was beheaded for officiating and presiding over weddings that were illegal. Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that there's something about being like, um, you know what, this is, I'm on the side of love, you know? Yeah. Um, I think, especially coming off that particular topic, it's, it's important to let people know, and I, I know your time is limited, so we can't talk for too long about that, but uh, it's important to let people know that the UU Church considers, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but the UU Church considers the Bible to be one of many texts that are that are looked at, that are talked about, that are shared in church services. The Bible is not by any means the only thing that is that is read, right? So there's there's I, I think that I think most people who listen to these uh episodes come from a faith community. 
I would say probably 95% or more are those that come from a Bible-based community like myself. Um, so they're going to have some issues with what you were just describing, more than likely. But it's important to say that your church, it's not just a, a Bible church, right? There's many different texts and, and histories that you guys uh, use in, in your worship services. Yep. Yep. We, I mean, I like to use the Bible because I think it's really an incredible book. Right. Um, so very, very relevant. Um, but yeah, I do a lot of um, Buddhist teaching and I do like to do, I do a lot of, like, I follow the Jewish high holidays too. There's a Jewish like group within the congregation. Um, I would only preach about something I knew about. Like I would yeah. never about something that I didn't yeah. know about. Um, but yeah, there's a long history between Jews and you used to just in terms of like humanism and like, there's a strong like line of secular Judaism. And that's very similar to humanism, which is like, um, being like atheist, but wanting to go to church or synagogue. Right. right. Yeah. I think the last concept I want to ask you about, um, is the, the idea of, uh, no in faith. No, you can't. No, you don't. No, we don't. No, we can't. Um, I think that the, all the people that we have talked about this morning in this conversation, whether it be people like me who are raised in a church, people like you who are raised in a different kind of church setting, people who were not raised in a church at all, people who are gay, any kind of situation we've talked about this morning, I think have has an atheist, even you mentioned, have, have an idea of faiths being about no's and yeses. What can you guys do? What do you guys do? What can you not do? That kind of thing. I'm curious um, what you think about the concept of maybe restraint is a better word, but that, that no, that boundaries is a great word. Thank you. Um, of, of any given faith community, whether it be a typical Protestant situation, yours itself, which it doesn't sound like there are a lot of boundaries in, in, in the congregation you're describing there with UU. Um, but for, for so many people, those, that's, these are the lines I live in, you know, and I, I just, that's not even a great question. I didn't even word it well, but I'm just curious oh, your thoughts on, on, on what that is as we wrap up. So I think it's like, I think every community puts boundaries or creates laws um, in good faith and with good intention. Like this feels like this is, these boundaries are going to, or these like precepts or laws are going to um, support people in, you know, being closer to the divine and, and being spiritually well and keeping the community healthy and everything. Um, and so I think it just is like where you put those boundaries and what you put those boundaries around. So like theologically, we don't have very many boundaries because we feel like one of our principles is the free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Like the idea that like you put a goldfish in a bowl, it'll get this big. If you put it in a pond, it'll get, you know, this big, big. Yeah. that kind of idea. Um, well, you know, giving the religious education program is robust and does a lot of um, like creating your own credo statement and doing a lot of that theological, spiritual work personally and in relationship with others. And I think that's where we, as you use, do put a really strong boundary is around relationship with others. So we are, we call ourselves a covenantal religion, meaning that um, each that at each time that a group of people comes together, we create a covenant, which is how we promise that we will be together. And so like, let's say like a kid's classroom, when they get into the classroom, the first thing they do is they make a covenant. Everyone says, you know, what's important, you know, and they make their little list. And then when somebody does something out of covenant, oh, let's go back to the covenant. It, you know, this was what we said we were going to use. We set this up. We set yeah, this up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is the yes and no. Yeah. And then and then like somebody can be like, you know what I want, let's go back to the covenant. Let's rewrite it. Okay. We're going to go back and be like, oh, actually we need to add this stuff in about like saying you're sorry or whatever, or, yeah. you know, you need to include that, like, 
people, there can be a reset corner. I don't know, whatever they need to do. And so in that, it's like a living tradition and a living document. So our board has a covenant. We have, you know, ways that we do feel very strongly that um, there need to be boundaries about how we are to each other. And so that feels really fundamental to us. Um, and there are boundaries around that, that we, that I feel are very, very strong. Cause I mean, it's very important to me that there be, um, safety in the church, that there be emotional safety, there be accountability, there be a general sense that, um, the way we treat each other is, is, is how we do the work. You know, if we don't treat each other well, then, you know. What are we doing? (laughs) Right. Are we all here? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I would say about the yeses and nos. I think that's a great answer. You you answered it better than I asked it. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, For anyone who sees this and is interested in in coming to your church, learning more about your church, uh, as we wrap up, tell people about how they can uh, take part in, in UU right now. Okay. So right now, if you're interested, you can go to Smooch Office. I was going to say, I was going to tell people it's, you see her name pop up on the zoom. They do say smooch. And I love that so much. S-M-U-U-C-H is smooch. And I love that. So continue. I'm sorry. Yeah. So go to S-M-U-U-C-H office on YouTube. You can just even Google smooch um, or you could Google Reverend Rose smooch. Um, and so that would be how you would get connected right now. It's just on YouTube. Um, otherwise we're located in old town Lenexa. And we have, um, you know, our programming is going and you can just, but everything starts on the YouTube. There'll be a little get in touch form and like all your little things on the YouTube. And you guys are all online right now for worship services, right? Still. Yep. Worship is all online. Yep. Yep. Reverend Rose, I I can't thank you enough for your time today. This was a really, really great conversation. I, I really appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been so nice talking to you and getting to know you too.